it is kind of that time of year again, um, time when family and friends get together, uh, especially this week, Thanksgiving and all that, and the holiday season. But um, we get to hear those stories from those families, uh, from that family and those friends, um, kind of how Thanksgiving used to be back in the day, traditions that we had, we get to get catch up with those friends we haven't seen in a while. Um, and I think it's good that today we hear about some patience because of that, right? Because I think we're going to need it going into this, uh, this Thanksgiving. Because um, isn't it the way when, when we gather with our family and we've, we hear that story of how Thanksgiving was again for the umpteenth time? It's fine, but we can also recite it back to that person like, yes, you tell this every year and this is how it goes, and we recite it back to them perfectly. Or when we catch up with family or friends and, and they're telling us what they've done over the past year, and we try and, well, at least I try, I know, to, to one-up, maybe. It's like, oh, you did that, I did this. You know, rather than just being happy for the person and, and it's like, oh, I see how you were blessed, that's good. Um, we, we try and one-up like that. Um, and in our culture, I think there's the dread of, of large gatherings of family because there is that tension, right? So it's like, ah, oh, we got to fake it. We have to have patience with those people or we just break down into a yelling match or something like that. Uh, hence, a bunch of Thanksgiving Day comedies. Um, but setting Thanksgiving aside for a moment, say that uh, we were back in August when it was warm, and August is a funny month to me because there, there are no real holidays that I'm aware of in August. It's just a month where you have daily work. You go to work, you come home. or Your, your schedule is kind of a, a routine. But what about those kind of days? Where does patience come in on those? Uh, when you're sitting at, uh, maybe you work in an office and sitting in your cube, the guy next to you just taps his pencil on his desk relentlessly. I mean, hours. Does this guy do any work? Does he just, I mean, is someone paying him to just tap the pencil? Is that what's going on? Or he's just, how loud can you eat salad? I mean, it's lettuce. We're crying out loud, crisp or not. Right? Or, or, or maybe you've, uh, you've been at work for a while and your boss is still treating you like you're the new hire. I mean, you've been there for years. And he just gets on your nerves because every time he speaks to you, it's like you don't know your job. Or if you're the boss, having those employees who you've told a thousand times, this is how I would like you to do this job, and they just don't do it, right? Or just waiting on uh, appointments and things like this. Going to a, I had a dental appointment this last week, just sitting in the, in the waiting room. I just want to get my teeth cleaned. <laughs> That's all. There's no one else here that I can see. Or uh, the line at the DMV. Or the McDonald's drive through It's not fast food. I'm sorry. That's... <laughs> I don't see how they can call it that. Uh, those are some more humorous sides. But what about, uh, what about a, seri- a more serious side? What about if you're waiting for a call from a doctor's office for those test results? Or waiting, what if you're waiting for a, the phone to ring for a job offer? 
What if you're waiting for God to answer your prayers for a family member who's hurting? What about your prayers for a, a spouse who just doesn't seem to get it? What if you're waiting to be in a relationship, waiting to get married, waiting to start a family? What if you're waiting for someone you so desperately love to come to repentance? Last week, Pastor Scott spoke on uh, the dangers of letting anger take root in your life. If you weren't here, you can go to philida.org and, and download the message. I encourage you to do so. It's, uh, it was very good. I don't want to um, reiterate everything that you said, but the uh, main point is that we need Jesus to kill that root of anger in our lives. Now, when you kill a root generally in a garden uh, of, of a weed, it means something else is going to go in its place, right? And I think that when that root is pulled out, I think patience is one of those things that goes in that garden to grow. Um, so I'm very happy that I got to follow a, a sermon that was about having uh, God take care of your anger with a sermon on patience. Uh, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, Paul is writing on the, on the fruit of the Spirit uh, that comes into our life that is made manifest. And it... Uh, tells us the fourth one in there is patience. So it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. On this side, uh, we get to hear the opposite of what anger is, right? Now, translators uh, have, all, have also used words like long-suffering, steadfastness, endurance, perseverance, forbearance, the phrase slow to anger, and bearing with one another, where, where this idea of patience uh, comes into play. Um, there's a few different ways we even use the term, right? Listing off some of those things earlier, I, I, did, I got deep pretty early on. Uh, with that list, because it is a serious topic. We need that patience in our lives. Uh, if we feel that we've been wronged in some way, and we, and we get this welling of, of anger, we need that patience to go, you know what? I don't think they did it personally. Right? Or when, when we hear, if we're a follower of Christ and we hear someone dishonor God, right? Or uh, just say, slanderous things about Jesus and we and we get we get angry about that we need that patience with that person we don't know if they're coming at it from a misunderstanding we don't know if they're coming at it out of just uh, ignorance I they didn't know or if it's just hatred for that but we need to respond with patience there and a lot of times I mean hearing people speak they always tell you this is what I want you to walk with. This is what you need to hear from me. Speaking on behalf of God here, let me tell you what I do not want you to walk away with today. I don't want us to walk away with the idea that somehow we need to try harder to have more patience. 
that it's up to us to, okay, I'm going in this situation. I'm going to be patient with this person. I'm going to, I'm going to bear, just grit, grit my teeth and, and go for it, and we're going to do this. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to have more patience. Having done this a lot myself, just say, you're going to fail if you do that. At some point in your own strength, you'll fail in having patience with someone. And I say that because if we try on our own, it becomes moralistic, right? It's just, I'm trying to do the right thing. What I think is interesting as we're talking on patience is Paul calls it a fruit of the Spirit, which means it, uh, it comes from the Spirit as he acts in us and through us for, for those of us who, who trust Christ. And because of that, we can say it is a 100%, and in my opinion, 100% of, of the work of God in our life. With that, I want to um, kind of look at the idea of uh, Moses one time asked God if he could see him. And uh, God obliged, but only letting him see his back. But as, as the Lord walked by, he declared who he was. To Moses. And I think it's important that uh, we hear this. It's found in Exodus 34, 6, and 7. Um, and we see God speaking of himself. When we see the Lord, the Lord, that's Yahweh. That's his name that he is saying. So as the Lord walks by, he says, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So God there is, is telling us that he is slow to anger. He has patience. He loves us. He does not let sin go unpunished. He describes himself that way. Uh, other places throughout Scripture, we see uh, some of his people, the children of Israel, we see how they describe God. Um, in Joel, uh, it's a prophet, he was speaking on God's behalf. He says, Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. And then David, in numerous psalms, Reiterates and he says, But, O Lord, but you, O Lord, are a God merciful, uh, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. These, these two men knew God personally. And this is how they describe God as well. They understand that. Even the prophet Jonah, who, whom God sent to Nineveh to save it, uh, or at least warn them of imminent destruction if, if they don't repent. After all of this, the city repents and everything, and, and Jonah's reply is interesting to me. He said, and he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. But later, he, he, I mean, he's just so upset about the fact that God is patient. He's like, I just want to die because you're so patient, and I can't believe this, right? Like, God didn't destroy Nineveh. He saved it, and it upset him. 
which is interesting to me. So those are, those are three, three people there in, in the Old Testament who saw God for who uh, he said he was, felt it, believed it. But what about us in the 21st century, right? How has the patience of God shown up in, in our lives? How has it affected my life? If you read through Joel, uh, we don't really know much about Joel, but we know that God chose him to call the people of Judah back to God. They were in rebellion, and that, those were one of the, uh, the things that God was to have him say so that they would repent, so they would see their sin, so they would come back. God is slow to anger. He relents from sending calamity. Um, David was called a man after God's own heart. And Jonah tried to avoid God's task by running away. So the patience that affects my life, like, uh, like the message Joel and both Jonah uh, delivered, I believe God is giving us time to repent and turn to him. This is how it affects our life today. The patience of God uh, is here and shown by the Father giving us or me time to repent. Joel speaks of a coming judgment if, uh, if the Israelites didn't turn. He also, uh, in the book of Daniel, there's uh, judgment to come on that. In First Thessalonians, it talks about the judgment that's coming. In the book of Revelation, there's all this prophetic language about a judgment day that will happen. I have friends that ask me uh, fairly regularly because they know I'm a Christian. And they just say, if, if God is a good God and he hates bad stuff happening, why doesn't he just get rid of all the bad stuff? Why doesn't he get rid of all the bad people, all the bad attitudes, just wipe it out in one clean fell swoop and be done with it? Typically, uh, my answer um, comes out of Second Peter. I don't quote them chapter and verse, but I, I give them the idea. And it's Second Peter uh, 2, 3, and 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He's patient with us the way a father is with a rebellious child. It's the type of patience that we have when we live a spirit-filled or a spirit-driven or directed or guided, whatever word you want to use there. If you're a follower of Christ, it's, that's the spirit we have. We can have that patience. It's given to us. That's why it can't be just a moral message. It's a patience coming from God. Uh, if God wasn't patient with us, we would not be here, long and short of it. But he is patient with us, and so we are. And so Second Peter, to me, that's an encouragement to me because it means that God was patient with me. And it makes me happy because now we're here, and I can tell my friend that, hey, God wants to save you. He wants to be with you. He wants you to be with him, Right? 
However, there's, uh, how to describe it? There's still, he's patient with us now, but judgment is still coming. The judgment is still coming. Kind of putting it in this way, we'll pull back from that for a second and look at it like this. I read a news article uh, this last week um, down in Florida. There was a, a lotto that was had back in, was it May? Like May 25th, something like that. Numbers pulled out, $16 million ticket. $16 million ticket. This last week, the state of Florida just cut that because no one came forward to claim it. $16 million, and what they're doing with it is 80% is going to education, 20% of it's going back in the pool because no one stepped forward with the winning ticket, right? In that regard, the state was patient with whomever had the ticket. We'll give them six months. They announced it. Hey, here's the winning lotto numbers. If you got it, it came from this store. They pointed that out. People had opportunity to rummage through their trash or whatever to try and find this ticket. Maybe I threw it away. I don't know. But six months had come and gone. But at the end of that six months, okay, we're doing this with the money. If tomorrow the guy with the winning ticket's like, holy cow, I was sitting on this and goes to cash it in, too late. Six months, it came and went that he had to do that. In similar fashion, God is patient with us so that we can come to him. He's not forcing us to come to him, but there is a time will come when that isn't on, it's not an option anymore. Judgment will happen, and by then it is too late. Right? So knowing that, yeah, it kind of leads me to a, a second question, especially in the light of the fact that uh, we aren't ever able to have that level of patience on our own. Imagine all the patience it takes to deal with, with one person. It's just in your own daily life, how much patience you're, you're giving someone over small, slight things, maybe even bigger things. Now multiply that by 7 billion, and then some more. God's patience is even greater than that. So I can be angry and impatient with one person, but God shows patience to a whole world. So with that said, how can God cultivate the fruit of patience in my life? What, uh, what vehicles or what mode, what, uh, what way has he set that about? So with that being said, knowing God has this amazing amount of patience, I think uh, the first answer is fairly simple. Uh, we ask God to direct our lives. By that, I just mean putting your faith in Christ and the work that he did on the cross and paying for sin. That is what the Father is patiently waiting for us to accept. The work that his son did uh, on the cross. He died, rose from the dead to bring you to God. As I said earlier, one day that offer won't be there. Judgment will happen. You can do that today. You can make that choice to say, yes, I I want to trust God. You could pray something to the effect of, uh, God, I know I am a sinner. I don't deserve the patience you have with me. 
But I thank you for it and the grace and mercy and accept that Jesus is your answer to my sin problem. Please come into my life and change it for your glory. And if you've prayed that prayer before or you just prayed it now, we need encouragement a lot of times. We aren't perfect yet. I know I'm not. And so I want to uh, give you these uh, words of encouragement from Proverbs. Uh, It's in 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Trusting Christ with our lives is that first step that we can take to having the patience that God gives us in the Spirit. We need to continually trust him, though, with that, which is where uh, you might even, just in parentheses, put next to that first point, prayer. It's prayer that we need. Like if you're driving to work or in your daily life, whatever, praying that prayer, I don't think I can handle these weirdos around me, God. I, I need you clearly to help me with this. And I think that's where those verses come in and just dealing person to person, right? Trust God. Treat them how he would have you treat them, right? And then kind of on the other side, maybe it's not people, maybe it's circumstances that you're in. And this is the idea of uh, perseverance or steadfastness come in. And maybe you're just in a really rough season in life. You know, I, God, I know you're working in my life, but it really hurts right now. And I know you're, you're working towards my good, but it really hurts right now, and I want it to be done. In James uh, 1, 2 through 4, talking about persecution, but I think we can pull a principle out of this for, um, for relying on God. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, endurance, patience, perseverance. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So that steadfastness is the patience waiting for God to bring you through something, right? Knowing that your good is there, relying on him. And those ideas are kind of out here. It's like, okay, I can pray that in my head, that's good. But uh, if you're like me, I I can think here all day long, but sometimes I just need a, yeah, well, what does it look like? Uh, Practically speaking, what does it look like to have patience? In, in hard circumstance or in just the yutzes around me, right? Second answer here is we need to look to Jesus for the example of perfect patience. We need to look at Jesus for the example of perfect patience. I am in no way perfect. I don't think anyone in the room is perfect. So I say this with all humility. Uh, we stink at meeting expectations overall. Uh, we let people down. People let us down. We lose our tempers. We get frustrated. 
Uh, I've worked in a customer service type job for 12 years. First half of that kind of in food service, second half doing tech support. Um, In food service, I've been a team member, a team leader, an assistant manager, and a manager. On the tech side, I've been a frontline agent answering phones. I've been a little bit of floor support, and I've been a team manager as well. In the 12 years that I've been doing that, the observation that I have, uh, people have great opportunity to say and do dumb things. (laughs) And more often than not, they take advantage of that opportunity, myself included, right? When working on a team, I know I did stupid things. I know my boss came in and said, hey, this is how I want you to mop a floor. Please use hot water. I'm like, I don't like hot water, so I use cold water. And then I have to mop a floor twice. Um, do it right the first time, right? It's things like this. Um, I, I refer to these bad habits. As a, as a team manager, I've been in that position. Hey, I'd like you to answer a phone call this way. Please do it this way. This really helps the customer feel relaxed and at ease. They don't do that, and they get bad surveys. And then I go, why didn't you do it that way? <laughs> right? It, it gets frustrating. Um, so I said, look at Jesus, right? And I think of the, the one uh, story that was kind of rolling around in my head was uh, Jesus and his disciples just on a long day of ministry, long day of ministry, and they climb into this boat, and Jesus is tired, and he starts, you know, he takes a nap in the middle of the boat. Storm starts raging all around, right? His disciples freak out because they're going to die. So, hey, wake him up. Let him know we're going to die. And they wake Jesus up, and it's amazing to me what he does. He's like, dude, I'm the son of God. My time has not yet come. We'll be fine. Just hold up. No, he doesn't do that. He, uh, he calms the storm. And he teaches them and he encourages, uh, you know, strengthens their faith. It's not, he doesn't respond with that. Oh, for Pete's sake, man, I'm, in the, I'm here. We'll be fine. It's okay. Now let me sleep. He strengthens their faith, right? That was one that, that, the other two I want to really highlight. I want to look at the actual scripture there. Um, both take place in the, in the book of John. They're written about there. Uh, the first one is just before the Passover feast. And this is the, the last Passover that Jesus uh, has on earth, where we get the last supper and that. And during this, keep in mind, these are, the men he's speaking with in this passage, these are men that he, he handpicked. He called them specifically. These guys have been with him close on three years. They've seen everything he's done, right? I, they've seen him uh, cast out demons. They've seen him heal just horrific disabilities. They've seen him raise the dead. And they've seen him forgive sin. All of this over three years. I mean, this, I mean, Jesus has shown them powerful, powerful things. And he's laying it out. Hey, here's what's going to happen. Here's the plan that God has for us. So when he's uh, nearing the end, he tells them, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. I want to emphasize that last part. If you really knew me, you would know my father as well. 
from now on you do know him and have seen him. Jesus finishes saying these words. They're kind of hanging out in the, the thought bubble right out here. And just imagine that. And uh, his disciple, Philip. I love Philip. Philip's great. He says this immediately after what Jesus said. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. That is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father? Uh, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, uh, the words that I say to you, do not. I do not speak on my own authority. Pardon, but the Father who dwells in me uh, does His work. Believe in, uh, believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or else believe on account of the words themselves. Jesus's reaction to what Philip says is not, oh, come on, really, Philip? Were, were you even listening to what I was saying? It's none of that. I believe his tone was much more patient. I think Jesus is a good teacher here. He's a great teacher in this part. He reiterates what he just said in a way that Philip can better understand. I'm happy he responds to Philip that way because it means that he responds to me that way as well. I've read the Bible passages countless times in this. And sometimes I don't get it. And I ask what seem to be stupid questions. And then I read another passage and it makes it clearer to me what God is trying to say. I get encouraged by this also because while on earth, Jesus walked perfectly with the Holy Spirit. And he gave the Spirit to us as well. So as a believer in Christ and everything that he's done, we've been entrusted with, or rather given the Spirit, and I have the Spirit helping me act the exact same way that Jesus would have acted, or acts, I should say. The second scripture I'd like to look at um, is after Jesus has been raised from the dead. In this one, uh, Jesus has visited his disciples. Uh, At one time, one of them was not there. Uh, It was Thomas. As we look at uh, John 20, uh, 24 and 29, Uh, It tells us this. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. That's the first time. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see see his uh, hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days passed by. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And I'm happy he said that, because that would freak me out if I'm in a locked room and a guy shows up. Peace be with you, he says. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. 
Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Now in that little picture, there's a, just a huge amount of theology and stuff we can talk about in that. But what I want to look at here and what I see as I was reading it is I see Jesus' patience towards Thomas. Thomas is a show-me kind of guy. I am a show-me kind of guy. If I'm in a, uh, well, let's just call it a, a disagreement with someone, I'll, I'll fight for my side here and, you know, I'll try and prove it. But if someone comes up to me, I'm like, I'm not going to believe it unless you show it to me. So if they go to, say, oh, I don't know, Wikipedia or some other viable source of information, <laughs> and they show me, hey, here's this fact that refutes what you say, I'm going to be like, okay, or I'll be vindicated. One of the two, right? Um, so I, I get where Thomas is coming from. You guys say you saw Jesus. I don't believe it until I actually see him and do this and that. And then Jesus shows up. And what Jesus doesn't do is say, Thomas, you're out. Just leave. You know, unlock the door, walk out, and please don't come back. You clearly didn't have enough faith in me, so you're out. It's not the case at all. He, he speaks to Thomas. He says, peace with you. And then the next person he talks to, or the person he talks to, is Thomas. And he says, place your hands here. Touch my side. It's me. And Thomas gets it. He believes. And Jesus has a little reproof for him there. And happier are we who believe and have not seen Jesus. Right? He says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. At this point, I think that's where we are until Jesus comes back. So Jesus did not berate his disbelief. He corrected it. He was patient with them. He gave him an opportunity to believe better. So I, I, I want to leave you guys with this. It sounds a little backwards. Ask for patience. Ask God for patience, rather, and he will give it to you. I say that because most people say, hey, if you pray for patience, you just have to wait for it. But no. <laughs> what I'm saying is, if the Holy Spirit is in you, you can be patient with others through him. And if you want to see what patience looks like, Look at Jesus. It's kind of in, the, in point one, I was like, the, the top there is pray, right? Just continually pray uh, for that patience. And looking at Jesus' example, this is the read your Bible part. Looking at Jesus specifically, read the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the biographies we have of Jesus' life while he was here on earth. And those are full of him being patient. Even in the first part of Acts, you can read that. Uh, I want to pray right now. Um, if you feel um, just discouraged from this message, that is, I didn't want you guys to feel discouraged. I want the words of, of God to come into your life. Um, conviction is good. 
but praying that prayer of God, I am a sinner and I need your help to do this. Please forgive me. That's crucial in having this this godly patience. Father, I I pray for us today that um, as we interact with others, as we live our life and the circumstances in it, that you would give us patience to not only wait on you, but to wait with others as we pray for them to come to know you. Father, we need that patience that you give to us. It is challenging. It is hard. And you can overcome that through your spirit in us. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.